Man, you didn't know you were going to have a concert this morning, did you? <laughs> Sometimes when I come to this place, I feel like I'm like in a Broadway musical with the music. I mean, you guys know your music. That's just awesome. Hey, welcome to our second annual REACH conference. This is very exciting. We've been praying and thinking about this for quite a while now. And for, for many of you who have strolled in here this morning not knowing what's happening, not much may change. You know, we're still going to have our classes. We're still going to have our Sunday worship time. But what's different is that we are focusing on one theme this entire month. And that theme is discipleship. We talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I still, I feel so blessed to be able to be here. You know, just to know the people who have come before me, who have spoken to you with their life about what it means to follow Jesus is, is very humbling to me. But I feel blessed to be able to preach with you right now. Um, I also feel blessed that, that we have got a purpose that has been given to us specifically by God. But all of that will come once we choose to follow we're going to be talking about discipleship throughout this entire year in some way, shape, or form. So whatever sermon series we have, whatever class topics we're discussing, there's going to be this underlying theme of what it means to follow with everything that we are. Now discipleship, you hear that word a lot in, in the New Testament, disciples, and the actual word is methetes, methetes. I'm, I'm not, I don't know the accents, sorry. Methetes, right? It's, it's this idea of disciple could mean pupil or or learner or student but this particular word is a more intense word it has more of a intense connotation to it um, it's an intense idea meaning that it is much more than just a student so during the days of Jesus um, if you were chosen to be a disciple of a particular teacher then what you would do is you would move in with that teacher you would obey them submit to them you would watch them you would follow them everywhere you would learn to think like they do you would learn to see scripture like them to talk like them to walk like them to eat like them there are stories that uh, somebody's teacher was left-handed so they would learn to do everything with their opposite hand they would literally pattern their life after their teacher. The disciples would watch, they would imitate, because really they wanted to look just like their teacher. It's a badge of honor to be able to say, I am a disciple of... Paul mentions this when he talks about how he was a disciple of Gamaliel. You may have liked a particular teacher. You may have really responded to the things that he said and to the way that he saw Scripture, to, to his yoke of understanding. You may have even known what he was about or known what he thought about a particular issue that you were passionate about. But unless you were chosen by him, unless you were willing to do exactly what he said unless you were willing to completely leave everything to follow and model your life after this person, then you weren't a disciple. You weren't a follower. You were simply a fan. 
So today, what we're going to talk about is something that I hope will help us to stop and just think for a moment. Are we a follower of Jesus Christ or simply a fan? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thanks for these people. Thank you for giving us the ability to think and to reason and to understand and to just to help and love and encourage one another. And I pray that that in the next few minutes, Lord, you would give us a passion for what it means to truly follow. Lord, open and open our eyes to those things in our life that keep us from doing this. Turn over those things we've tried to hide. Shine light to us so that we can see where we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a very tough week to be a fan of Houston sports. There's a lot of groans in here. You know, last Sunday, first quarter, everything was going perfectly. I mean, it was awesome. In fact, I I restrained myself and did not tweet or message my really good friend who is a diehard Chiefs fan. I thought, oh, I'm going to be the bigger person. Texans were holding up pretty well for a while. Um, Three touchdowns. It was a beautiful moment until the end of the first quarter, and then everything changed very quickly. Things started happening quick. By halftime, we were losing by four. By uh, the game's end, we were losing by 20. In fact, it was such a bad loss that the Chiefs actually broke records. Think about this. Things that have never happened in the whole history of football, ever, Happened to my Texans this past Sunday. It's a tough day to be a Texans fan. And there have also been some news about my Houston Astros that I don't want to go into, but it's it's not good. If you want to know what happened, don't ask Phil Gold, because he is a St. Louis Cardinals fan, and he will give you a tainted version of the truth. (laughs) We've had a lot of back and forths on text, because I can't quite look him in the face. Again, it's been a tough, tough week to be a fan of Houston sports. Now, I did grow up in Arlington, right? I mean, the, the stadium now is, is parking lot 15B is where I grew up. You know, that's, that's my growing up. And so I will always, in some way, shape, or form, be a Cowboys fan. It's just part of my DNA. So that's why I'm just going to go ahead and bring it out. I'll wear this today. Um, I know Whitman's going to retire, but I'm going to go ahead and put it on for just a couple minutes. Yeah, that's okay. It's flat. It's all right. Ah, still fits. I'll always be a Cowboys fan somewhere down, you know, but I will tell you, Cowboys and Texas Rangers fans, I hope it don't make anyone too mad. Um, I found that a lot of people in the Dallas metro area are not real fans. They're just a little bit flighty. Always excited at the very beginning of the season of great and amazing, wonderful things, even when Jerry Jones has, has owned it. Um, but by the end, people are hiding their jerseys. They're taking the bumper stickers off. They're not really talking about anything sports-related to their friends. Um, but they will say, oh, I knew all along they weren't going to make it. But, you know, if they're doing well, they're, they're, then they're proudly exhibiting their colors, you know? It really depends on wins and losses here because no one wants to be a loser, do we? 
That's what fanship's all about, isn't it? We want to feel like you're a winner. Be a part of something that's winning. And with the exception of the Dallas Cowboys, the winners are the ones who usually make the most money. (laughs) You know it's true. And fans always want to be a part of a winning team. You know, that's that's why we buy the, the jerseys. It's big business. Estimates are that last year, Americans spent $75 billion on professional sports. And college sports are also very big business. Uh, The college football program alone is a high-ticket item. And I will honestly say, I never once thought, how much does it cost to have a football program at this particular school? Well, I'll tell you about four schools. Number one, Alabama. How much do you think it costs? 70,000. Good. A little low, but good. That was a good first guess. Um, $48 million for Alabama every year. Okay. Um, Texas A&M, Baylor, both about $33 million. UT is about 41. Hey, I'm not putting UT higher for any reason other than it was just space. Okay. Don't want to start a fight between Texas and A&M. Okay. So, so UT is about $41 million a year. So this is just four universities, and they're well over $100 million every year to put on sports. Four universities. This is just four. How can they spend this much? It's because the teams have thousands and thousands of fans. Each team has a lot of fans, many who are willing to part with their money so that they can vicariously experience excitement of watching other people play football. Why is it so exciting to us? I get excited about it. By the way, I haven't even mentioned the $17 billion of the year in the youth sports industry. The truth is we've got a lot of fans in the world, people who will root and cheer and spend and rejoice and weep for their teams, people who will gather together in their homes around food and have conversation in order to watch the games together. They talk about it all week long. They watch it. Sometimes they'll even watch replays. This spurs conversation. Sometimes deep conversation about history and statistics. And and for those who are in the room who don't quite know what's going on, they're very gentle in how they explain it to them sometimes. It depends, right? Um, They explain what's going on to some of the people in the room. When people leave, sometimes it's in celebration. Sometimes it's in silence. But there's always a hope, right, That, that next week, Next year, things will be better. In fact, if you have the opportunity to actually go to a game in person, it's kind of an exciting atmosphere, right? When we go to a game, we have no problem high-fiving anybody around us. We're talking to each other. We're buying food for one another sometimes. We're talking, we're saying, where are you from? Oh, whatever. We have this one thing in common. Rituals and routines are filled with getting to know one another and greeting one another singing together and celebrating together and we have no problem doing this when we're in that scenario and because being a fan is fun 
It's a diversion from our everyday life, right? It, it, it makes us feel as if we're part of something big until it's not. But no worries, we're fans, right? Because fans can leave. Fans can walk away. And being a fan, well, it's a very personal choice. The only thing really required of a fan is what that fan is willing to give. You know, you can be a fan from a distance. You can be a fan who admires and roots and cheers for your team in full regalia from the comfort of your couch. When it's convenient, you can go to the safety of the stands. But fans really have no obligation to continue. No consequences either, because if your team wins, you celebrate. If they lose, well, you can simply leave the stadium or turn off the TV, or you can even, you know, slowly take off your jersey and blend in so no one makes fun of you. In 2005, when the Astros were in the World Series, we were in Disney World. My daughter was three, and they lost four Great game, very sad moment. Um, but when we were in Disney, I just said, hey, I'm going to wear my hat. And the Chicago White Sox fans were coming up to me in the happiest place on earth. <laughs> I'm holding my daughter's ears because of the things they're saying to us. I wish that was an exaggeration. I didn't take my hat off. But, you know, fans, we don't have to really let anybody know what we are. So we can take off our jerseys. We can just kind of move in and out as if we aren't anybody's fans when it's convenient. My question is today, what are you a fan of? Mark chapter 10. Turn to Mark chapter 10. It's also in your app. But we're going to just read a quick story of a moment whenever Jesus meets a fan. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to unpack it just a little bit. Okay, Mark 10, starting 17. This is what it says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, stories of Jesus had spread across the region at this point. Jesus was as popular and as, I would say, as current and famous as they come. So when this man, when he approaches Jesus, he does everything right. I mean, he falls to his knees. He immediately calls him good teacher. But then you see that it There was something a little different. He wasn't really there to listen. This man was there because he wanted something. He calls him good. Then he 
gets right to it, no hello, no introductions, no uh, thank you for their miracles, by the way, or uh, hey, thank you for healing those people, or thank you for trying to get our country back in order. Nothing, just a little bit of flattery, followed by a very specific and self-centered question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I love it how Jesus responds in the, the order of how he asked the question. So he responds to this very first statement with, with a very specific truth. Whenever he says, no one is good except God alone. And then he responds to the second question in a very matter-of-fact way. He says, well, you know the commandments. And then he starts to list them. And as the man listens, I can only imagine that he's kind of going through the commandments, that the man interrupts him. And he says, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Whew, I'm in, good. That's all I wanted to know. You know, he had sought out this teacher, but it wasn't for wisdom or knowledge or even a miracle. It's just to give him something that he wanted. He wanted reassurance. He wanted satisfaction. He wanted the knowledge that he was on the right team. Jesus, Jesus gave him all of that. And then they had a moment. You know, those moments. It's a moment we all look for when we see a celebrity. If we see a celebrity, you know, that's why we have the cameras and we're looking. What do we want? Eye contact. If we could get eye contact, it just makes us, it makes us feel good. I sat next to Muhammad Ali in the Philadelphia airport. I didn't get the eye contact I wanted. I mean, we were right here. But I thought it was weird if I just did this, you know. <laughs> Should have probably sat across from him now that I'm thinking about it. But you know, we want that moment. We want that eye contact because it makes us feel special. It makes us feel like they noticed us. This was that moment. I don't know if he planned for it, but this was the moment because it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. This would be a whole sermon series right there. For this man, it couldn't get any better. He'd followed the rules. He'd lived a good life. He was set. He even had a now he had a relationship going. And I wonder if at this moment, this man was about to walk away, satisfied. Thanks for filling my cup today, Jesus. Ah, good talk, good talk. But then Jesus says something a little bit more. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you will find you'll have treasure in heaven. I think this moment kind of ranks up there with one of those shocking moments, well, shocking statements of all history. Sell everything you have. I mean, just think about that for a moment. How difficult would that be for you to sell everything you have? How much money do you think you could make if you sold everything? Clothes, home, cars, heirlooms, jewelry, old things you don't need anymore, um, your fridge, your food. Everything. How much money do you think you could get? Savings accounts, retirement accounts. I wonder, and if you had that money in your hand, how hard would that be to actually give it away? 
All that stuff we worked for our entire life? Given away? Now, some people would say, that's easy, I don't have very much. But some of us are still trying to calculate, how much would that be? Because honestly, some of us have a lot of stuff. This was difficult back then. That would be a lot for anyone to do. And if you had to go through the effort, it would seem to be enough. Okay, I've sold everything that I've had. Okay, but the man, he asked a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, he's going straight to the key question here. But what he was looking for was was something that was a little bit easier. It's a way that didn't require very much. At least he didn't want to give more than he was willing to give. And this instruction to kind of sell everything and give it to the poor, it was a tall order. But Jesus, he doesn't end there. What does he say next? Come, follow me. Once you've done that, come and follow me. And this is the moment of truth for this man right here. Was he going to continue to admire Jesus from afar? Was he going to continue to, to follow the rules, live out what his father told him to do and just keep doing it over and over because he's thinking that's it? Was he going to continue to do what he thought was right? Or would he actually go all in so he could know and follow and receive eternal life? And you know what happened at this, the man's face, it fell. He couldn't go with him. He just couldn't do it. Because he realized that this moment was going to cost him more than he was willing to give. So he turned and he walked away sad. And this is not unusual, especially when we find out just exactly what God's requiring of us. I mean, we're talking complete devotion here to follow Him, as we have said for years, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. It's not just about the information. I mean, once we realize what Jesus was willing to do to save us, then I think we have a choice to make of whether or not we're going to follow whether or not it's worth it and it's in this moment when we are asking ourselves is this really worth it it's when we discover if we are a follower or just a fan the reality is there's a lot of fans in the world fans who really like Jesus they like him they they read about him they Go to places where they can hear him, uh, hear about him, sing about him, see movies about him. You know, fans focus on those things that give them reassurance and satisfaction and knowledge that they've chosen the right team. You know, a fan relationship focuses on more, more on what we can get out of it. Experiences, the feelings, all that, the excitement. And, and in reality, a fan wasn't just enough, wants just enough of Jesus to feel safe. A fan wants just enough of Jesus to feel okay. A fan wants just enough of Jesus to feel like we are doing what we need to do. A fan wants just enough. But he, he wants more. 
This man was a fan because he wasn't willing to follow. And, and one of the really sobering messages in Matthew 7 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. You know, he uses this extreme case of people who've done some remarkable things. They said, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we healed in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? And, Jesus, and God says, I'm sorry, I don't know you. See, Jesus is looking for followers, y'all. He's looking for people who are ready to do more than just admire or appreciate or even quote. He's looking for someone who is ready to do more than simply agree. He's looking for followers. People who are ready to give our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, even our very lives, to move in with Him, to watch Him, to, to see how He breathes and moves and the things that He loves, to pattern our very life after Him. He's looking for someone who's ready to see the world as he does. He's looking for people who are ready to become something more than a fan. So what I'm leaving you with is this. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Don't leave here today before you decide. It may be one of the most crucial questions you answer in your lifetime. Let's stand together. This is a moment of truth. We're gonna we're gonna sing and just we're gonna have one verse. If you want to find a, an elder or me or just a person next to you, tell them. If you are choosing to follow, tell them. I'm gonna be a follower, y'all. Let's sing. Take one more minute. We're almost done. I just wanted to tell you that um, this is gonna be a question that I hope sticks with you. Uh, we're going to be talking about this this, this month. Um, but I also want to give you some practical ways on some things maybe you can do to start getting your mind prepared for this. So uh, I'm, I'm going to issue a challenge to you. Uh, a week from tomorrow, I am starting to read the entire New Testament, and I'm going to do it in eight weeks. Okay? So there is a uh, reading campaign that, I, that I'm going to begin, and, and I'm issuing you the challenge. Uh, on Wednesday night, we're going to be just kind of discussing some of the things that we read, but you'll start seeing uh, some Facebook, some Instagram, some app posts about a reading plan. So I'm just going to ask you, would you be interested in joining me to do that? Um, it's 30 minutes a day, five days a week, and I know if you're like my daughter, you'll go, oh, Dad. Uh, what I would say is that 30 minutes is 30 minutes less than an episode of Dance Mom, but I know many of you continue to watch. Thirty minutes a day, five days a week. I will have a reading plan for you, and I would love it if you could join me. Let's root our minds in Scripture, and let's root our hearts with one another, because God has something for those people.